over back to the Neil Haley show. And I'm excited about this conversation because in a lot of ways, I'm going to take this middle ground in this conversation. Definitely not going to take the conservative route or, or the left route in this way, because the, my belief system as a journalist is I have to take it down the middle, especially as a business owner. Uh, I always remember the saying that Michael Jordan said in his documentary, Republicans buy, shoe, um, buy, buy tennis shoes as well, where he didn't want to always be an activist. He bullet believed in all of his fans and this is really kind of relates a lot to our guest so i'm excited to welcome her i'm ben Riki. he's the director of the reunited states how are you uh and uh i tell you what it's excited to have you on the show thanks i'm doing great thanks so much for having me neil now, Ben, let's talk about your background first. You've been in a lot of interesting stuff as a director before this project. And I'm always interested when you come on the Neil Haley show to kind of tell more who you are before we get into the film. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I, my name's Ben. I grew up in Northern California. Uh, my dad is an immigrant from India and my mom is a blonde haired, blue eyed American from the East Coast. Uh, so I grew up going to uh, temple on one weekend and church the next weekend um, which really helped me sort of look at, you know, two different points of view at the same time, which led to being able to make this film. Um, but my previous films, yeah, I started working in the film industry. I went to NYU uh, for film school and then worked with the Coen brothers on a film that they directed called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, in the camera department. That was sort of my first foot in the door in the industry. Um, got hired by George Clooney to shoot the behind the scenes for the first film that he directed, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and then uh, started producing independent films. I did a film that I produced called Bomb the System that was about graffiti writers in New York, um, directed a film called Waterborne about a water shortage uh, in, in Los Angeles, and then uh, eventually went on to do a couple of bigger movies, a, a film called The Ashram with the Academy Award winner, Melissa Leo, um, that was sort of a spiritual thriller set in India and uh, Watchlist, uh, which is a film set in the drug wars in the Philippines about Duterte, the president there, his war on drugs. And so, yeah, since then I've really looked at using cinema as a means to um, allow people to walk in other others shoes and see the world from other people's points of views. I think it's an incredibly powerful medium. And that's sort of what brought me to the idea for this film um, for the reunited States. And see, I think that you want something that's going to, and it looks like you as a director or a producer, you say to yourself, I want to be involved in projects that are really going to make a difference and resonate as art versus just doing art for entertainment wise you want it to be entertaining but also something that you can bring home and learn more from sounds like you're yeah and bringing yeah. certain awareness that might not always be on the screens that's right i mean i i think there's room for it all like i like a big popcorn movie yeah, exactly next person but for for me personally um you know these things take a long time and you know two years of your life and it ends up being 90 minutes or two hours of other people's time and so I really uh, realized that I, I feel most fulfilled uh, doing projects that can change the way people see the world or see themselves. And, you know, cinema is a mix of a lot of different mediums. It's literature, theater, photography, music, uh, performance, and all rolled into one. And, and it really allows you to be a fly on the wall for the human experience. And it can show us what we have in common um, and, the, and the common humanity that we share. And so for me, it's 
First and foremost, you have to entertain. You know, people feel like they're being lectured to, they're out the door immediately. Um, so I really look for stories that are, you know, emotional and and powerful. Um, but then above that, is there a way to 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 take a preconception and kind of look at it in a new in a new way? Because that can be transformative for for an audience. It could definitely. So how did you get involved in reunited states? So the reunited States, um, I had initially done mostly fictional films and uh, after the 2016 election um, realized that, you know, maybe there was a way to turn the camera around on what was happening and to help navigate this uh, new reality that we found ourselves in. And I did a series called The Hidden Vote for PBS that profiled minorities who support Trump. And so we did an episode on Muslims for Trump and LGBT for Trump and really challenge some of the preconceptions of, you know, who his base were and to kind of show that there, this was not as uh, simple a phenomenon. There's a lot more complexity in the American electorate and as a way to, to see and hear people, to understand, you know, different points of view. And through that series, uh, I came to realize that cinema was a powerful platform for us to, to hear each other better. And the reunited States was a title that popped into my head. And I, I thought it was actually too clever and that someone else must've already had it. And so I, I Googled it and there was a book of the same name on the same topic by Mark Curzon, who had been doing this work for 30 years. Um, and so I called him up and I said, look, I'd love to um, adapt your book and you know, meet some of the people that are doing this kind of bridge building work now, like who's on their feet traveling the country trying to bring us together. And so he introduced me to three of the storylines. Um, but the initial storyline, Susan Bro, who, um, you know, was the woman in Charlottesville who lost her daughter when the car drove through the crowd. I uh, was really struck. I saw her speak at a live event um, when I was in D.C. And I was really struck by the fact that she had, you know, suffered this terrible tragedy, but was able to come out the other side talking about the need to have difficult discussion to move past where we were and to avoid further violence. And I was so moved, I went and spoke to her and I said, listen, I don't know how or why, but I really feel like I want to be a part of telling your story because I think it can help people right now. A lot of people are emotional exactly. or excited or confused. And, and she, you know, kind of vetted me and, and said, you know, who are your intentions? What are you trying to do and say? And I said, I really just want to, you know, bring people together and show, show that there are ways that we can see and hear each other better. And so she signed on and that sort of kicked things off. See, that's really cool. And thinking about looking at the, the book and then putting the relationship, finding her, that's just got to be hot forgiveness is something really big in this. I mean, to forgive somebody that did this. And then your idea is you want to reunite just not just one side of the aisle, but the other side. So you had to find somebody else on that other side of the aisle, right, as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you touched on a really big point there about forgiveness. Um, you know, it's really caustic to oneself to carry around anger and hate and fear um, you know, even though we think we might be fighting for what we believe in, it's actually harmful to us to, to carry so much hate around. Um, and so it's in our own self-interest to let that go. And, and so it was important that we had people from all across the political spectrum, you know, left, right and center. And 
Democrat, Republican, and Independent. Um, and so Susan, you know, she's left-leaning, um, and she'd be the first to say, like, she grew up in a conservative family and um, was sort of unawares to some of the injustices that exist for different communities out there, and that this really opened her eyes because her daughter, you know, ended up dying for uh, marching for, you know, um, social justice. And so it, it thrust her into this world unexpectedly. Um, and then there was another story in the film um, of a Republican family, the Levertons, um, who were from Dallas, Texas, who, um, you know, David's story is so interesting. He was a uh, advisor to a Senator, to a re Republican Senator, and, um, you know, kind of left politics and, and uh, what they, he and his wife had a daughter that was born with Down syndrome. And it really flipped their world upside down in terms of what was important and what they valued and what, you know, what other people judged them because of a daughter with a disability. And it, it sort of like, um, you know, flipped his world on his head and, and, you know, he was really struggling with what the next steps in life were. And his wife said, look, if you didn't have a mortgage and we didn't have kids, what would you want to do uh, starting tomorrow? And without thinking, he'd said, I want to bring unity back to this country. I was part of a mechanism that divided this country through political campaigns, and I want to repair some of that damage. And, and so eventually, you know, they decided to sell their house, buy an RV, and travel to all 50 states to find out what's, what's tearing us apart. And their journey on this year on the road is just really transformative. They go into native reservations and border towns and black communities and really understand that there are many different versions of America out there, depending on, you know, what you look like, how much money you make, what gender you are, what religion you follow. And um, that that's the beauty of this country, but that's also the thing that we have to work through and appreciate is working through our differences, um, you know, in order for democracy to succeed. And there's so much hatred on both sides. And when you made this film, it was before the real uh, divide happened the last couple of years, right? So if you explain that, so you're in this process of making this film and you've seen things just turn upside down till then, which means this film means more and more to everyone that are going to view it now. Yeah. Yeah, we made it uh, starting in 2018 and we finished... Um, at the end of 2020 and, you know, before this last election, I, I think that these divides uh, have been there and have been growing over the past 20 to 30 years, yes. um, but, but they really reached a fever pitch in the past couple of years and really in the past, you know, two years. Um, and so we started at a time when the divisions were front and center, but we never could have imagined how much they would grow. Um, and we really wanted this film to be um, evergreen and kind of talk to the deeper divisions in the country, not just the present ones with whoever's right. in power at the time. And, you know, really to not uh, go into policy as much as humanity. And, right. you know, what are the kind of things that connect us as people? Um, and, and, that, and those things are timeless. Um, and so we hope that the film, uh, and we're hearing that it, it, it feels as relevant relevant now as it did when we started it a couple of years ago. Now, looking at what you're talking about, the film and the divide that's happening, I think the hardest part is why don't you look at the other side? That's what this film's about. Let's look at what the other side, are they really that different from us? Are they really that different that I can't stand that person and can't stomach that person? Like we have people, Ben, that we just can't stomach because they're not good people or we just don't like them. 
It's not because of what they like, things like that. We just don't get along. There's just not a, they, they, either there's animosity between us, but it's not based on a specific stance. So I think there's a lot of people have to understand if you were going and you broke down and you went to someone's house and had coffee or had a dinner with somebody, how you'd see that we're so much similar than we feel. And through this radio show and TV show in 11 years, I've interviewed people on both sides of the aisle constantly. And really there's no difference at all, except certain preconceived uh, notion, preconceived notions that make people hate each other. For example, oh, you're anti-God because you're an abortionist you're into abortion or you, cause you're pro-life. You're not into women's choice or you don't like helping the poor. So you're a racist. So all these different things go back and forth. And you, you know, you're, you're, you can't believe in God. If, if there's same sex marriage, these kind of preconceived notions that I couldn't get along with that person, like that person, just based on the ideology and not understanding we're all just trying to get along in life to help others and do good things. And neither side is wrong. How can that, how, how can we bridge that gap so that we can reunite people, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit more in this interview after who you brought on as executive producers, and then also some of the big events coming up. Yeah, well, you, you hit it on the head. I think that we're also trained to look at life in binary terms. Like either you're for this, that means you're against that. And, you know, as we all know, the world isn't black and white. It's very, uh, there's various shades of gray. And, you know, a lot of this way of thinking has been put into place by systems and organizations that benefit from it. I mean, the three major uh, influences of our worldview are, you know, um, our news sources, which benefit from um, partisanship because it sells advertising. And so we're probably getting a distorted view of what's actually happening because we're seeing the extreme 10% of activists or extremists on either side constantly. And we're over amplifying that because it triggers our, you know, fear mechanism that keeps us watching. And, and so there's a very robust system of news media that is overemphasizing uh, the most extreme voices. Social media does the same thing with yes. algorithms. Um, and it's kind of like warping our view. And then even political parties, like, you know, both, bo both political parties have realized that you're much more likely to go vote out of fear or anger than out of reconciliation or hope. Or hope. And so, you know, when you have these three forces weighing down on us every day, you have to realize that their incentive isn't aligned with our best interests a lot of the time. Like we're, you know, our goal is to get informed information that, you know, can make an objective like view to live a peaceful existence with each other. Their goal is to win elections or to sell advertising. And so immediately there's a disalignment of interest there. And, and so I, you know, with us, there's, there's several issues um, that divide us. There's probably four or five really hot button issues that we will just won't agree on ever. And there's thousands of issues that we do agree on. And, and so the idea that, you know, if you're for this, then you're against this. And also, like you said, the preconceived notion that I'm dehumanizing someone based on not even having ever met them, just by what I've formed because of these yes. three sort of media sources and dehumanization is much different than disagreeing. I may disagree with, you know, someone about a policy issue, but dehumanization means you're beneath me. You're, you're not worthy of my time. You're not worth saving and you're not part of this country and you, you're damaging it. 
And that's a very dangerous road because dehumanization usually precedes violence. And so for the road that we're on, it doesn't look good unless we start taking ownership for ourselves in our own lives with our friends and neighbors. Exactly. And so you got Megan McCain on board and also Van Jones, which is such a interesting as executive producers. So how'd that happen? How'd they hear about it and say, I want to be part of this? Yeah, it's uh, it's been great having Van and Megan on board because they've brought a lot of attention to the project. Um, they're also quite aware of their own, uh, you know, polarizing tendencies or electric statements that sometimes, you know, uh, go viral. Um, you know, it was really important for us to have someone from the left and someone from the right represent the film. Um, and, you know, having these two media icons um, that are already in the limelight, kind of using that limelight to redirect it towards the film was meaningful. Van, uh, you know, the author of the book, Mark Gerzon, Van had reached out to him um, to talk about bipartisan approach to climate change. And so Mark, you know, mentioned to me, hey, like Van is interested in, in working on solutions across the aisle. You should reach out to him and see if we can get the, them to watch the film. And, and he did, and he loved it. Um, and then when we were thinking of people from the right, um, we thought it'd be great to also uh, not just have, you know, a political opposite, but have uh, a woman so that we could balance, you know, having just all perspectives there. And Megan, um, you know, she and Van go way back. They, they, you know, he has a lot of respect for her father and had her on the show that, that he had a couple years ago. And so he said, why don't you reach out to her? And, and when we did, she was like, I love Van, I love this film. And she had just had her child at the time. This was back in uh, November, oh. December. And so she was starting to think about the world a little bit differently and you know what kind of world that her child would grow up in and trying to be a part of that solution. And so um, having the two of them on board has just taken things to another level and been a great experience. So you have two big uh, things coming up in the next couple of weeks or soon, very soon, uh, I guess the 12th and then also the following, right? So so tell us about it. Yeah. So the reason we're releasing the film now, um, the reunited States, which is just out on Amazon prime for anybody who wants to watch it, uh, is that there's two big events coming up this weekend, America talks on June 12th and 13th. Um, people can sign up at americatalks.us. It's basically, a one-on-one conversation with your political opposite. And it's a massive initiative by the whole bridging community. It's been done in Europe called My Country Talks for for years, Um, but it's a way to get to know someone. There's a kind of a, you sign up for it, you're partnered with someone across the country, and then you have a one-on-one video chat like this with a prompt of questions on the side, and you can really get a chance to talk to someone that you might not have access to in your everyday life. And so American Talks is, is a huge event. Um, that's coming up. And that kicks off the National Week of Conversations, which is the the second event that you're talking about. And National Week of Conversation is the whole bridging community. There's hundreds of organizations that are doing this work, trying to bring us closer together across the partisan divide or across different divides. Um, That week is where everyone hosts events and invites the public to join as part of conversation or, um, you know, screenings. And that is also available on americatalks.us. You can see the calendar of events and sign up for something in your town or virtually. Um, And so these are big, big milestones for the bridging community. Awesome. So Ben, what's the biggest hope for the film? What do you want to happen? 
You know, the film is really an entry point for a way of looking at these divides. Um, and it's, the idea is to frame the discussion differently and to say it's, you know, instead of pointing our finger over there and saying those people are the problem, it's to look within yourself and say, am I doing things that are fueling these divides? Is the way I'm thinking about someone or posting about a group of people online, is that putting further fuel on the fire? Um, because all we really have control over is ourselves. And so the goal of the film is really to give people a sense of agency instead of hopelessness and say like, there's nothing I can do. This is just what's happening. I need to you know, fight this battle. Uh, to rather saying, you know, wait a second, I have responsibility over my own thoughts, words, and actions, and I can choose to be a uniter or a divider, and that it's in all of our own best interest to do that. And if just that reframing of the problem happens, then it's been a huge success. But it's an emotional film. Like, I, you know, I think if you need a little bit of hope about where we are and see that there are people doing this work, I would say tune in because, you know, we could all use a little hope these days. Well, fabulous, Ben. We appreciate you coming by. Uh, they, so the book, the movie's now available on Amazon Prime, right? Yep. And also other streaming places as well, correct? Yeah, the United States is available everywhere. It's on Prime for free and it's on iTunes and all of the other platforms as well. And best place to connect with you, where can we go? Uh, you can drop me a line at ben at reunitedstates.tv or follow us on Instagram. Send us a message there um, at the reunited states on Facebook. On Twitter, it's at the underscore reunited. And what you're doing, Ben, is you're bringing this awareness that's very important to finally get us back together again in ways. And by showing it in this film, you're going to do it. And through these events that are coming up the next couple of weeks, we appreciate you coming by. Great work on this film for sure. And uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much, Neil. I really appreciate it. And everyone keep hope alive. There is a path forward together. Yes, there is. And this is the, again, this was the Neil Haley show our special guest, Ben Riki. Take care, guys. Thanks. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download free to play yeah baby what are you waiting for win meet and greets celebrity merchandise gift cards and more download celebrity slots today hi everyone and welcome to the light in the morning podcast i'm excited to welcome to the program margot lemmark Margo, it's great to talk to you again, and you bring such great inspiration. And uh, chapter one really uh, was interesting to think about, just summarizing, but people definitely need to pick up the book. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Neil. It's great to talk to you again. Absolutely. So let's kind of j j um, go into first kind of where we left off in chapter one and go to chapter two. Okay. So chapter two is... Um, it, it, chapter two goes into a little bit more in depth in my life and um, how I had this relationship with this guy named Ryan and everything that came out of that. The interesting thing about that was um, 
we had a lot of synchronicity. I, he, we were best friends in high school and college, best oh, friends. Wow, okay. And then we didn't see each other for many, many years. And one at one time I had this experience when I was living in California and it was, um, I had taken a year off from college and he had gone to the Navy and hadn't seen each other for a long time. And, um, I had this experience where I realized it was this kind of cognitive experience like I have that he was the one. And um, so I wrote him a letter and it really, um, it, it was hard to explain in this letter, but I just had to express my feelings for him because now we were changing from friends to something else. And he at the time he was in Australia, so it took me a long time to write the letter. I finally wrote it, sent it, and I knew exactly when he would get it. So wow, okay. the day that he would get it, I was sitting in my kitchen, and I heard this little clunk in my mailbox. I had one of those slits in the door, and something clunked onto the floor. So I go to the door and where my mail was, and there was a cassette. And it was from him. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is interesting because he's getting my letter today. And in this cassette, he, I thought, what did he send me? Music? This is cool. He explained to me how he had written many, many letters and ripped them up and threw them away and wrote another letter, ripped it up, threw it away. And finally, he just had to speak it. And he had to speak his feelings for me because he realized we were more than friends. And so he he sent me basically the same letter that I sent him, and we both got them on the same day. And that just really um, is an example of how this relationship was. You know, it was very um, incredible. So that's the start of this story. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, let's continue. Let's, uh, so continue a little bit more before not giving it all away. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know it's it's it, this one's hard not. It, yeah, it, it's kind of hard not to, to give it all away. But um, it, it's you know er, every single story in my book is another way to explain how we don't die. You know, yes. um, mm -hmm. there, a time. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I guess I don't want to give the whole story away, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how. No, to... I'll stop. I'll stop. That, that that's the perfect thing is to say we every person doesn't die at certain points instead of going deeper into chapter two. I think that yeah, when you're you're talking about specifically someone you care about in so many ways, even if they disappear in any way, there's still a living memory of them forever, regardless. Even if they if you parted ways and broke up. That yeah. there's still something, even if you broke up, that was special about that person that will never die. Yeah, th well, that's right. But but there's a little bit different twist on it on this one. Um, there were many synchronistic things like this with us. And um, one night I went into this into a bar, and I was you know just kind of having fun with my friends, and all of a sudden I just started. 
I didn't, I, I never drank too much, but I started drinking like crazy. And I looked at the clock and it's felt like time froze. And I, I just started kind of chugging and my friends like, Margo, what are you doing? And remember this is college days. So it, I'm not that way anymore. But, but that night I went home, went to bed and I had this dream and in the dream, um, the phone started ringing and I picked up the phone and it was my friend, a, a really good friend of mine and a good friend of Ryan's who said, Ryan died last night oh. at exactly the time oh I started gosh. looking at the clock and chugging. Yeah. And so, um, after that, it, it's really interesting because it was a very tragic accident. It was a car accident where several people were in the car. All of the car people were killed except the driver. And um, we, I, I went to the funeral. Obviously, I was there. And people kept saying to me, I, I knew something about life that I, I, I didn't know before. I looked at him in the casket and I realized he wasn't there. That was just a shell of a body. He, he was totally not there. And when they when they actually gave the sermon at the funeral, I almost stood up and said, "No, he didn't die. He's not. That's not. That's not him. That's just a body." You know, I had such a big realization. I didn't because I didn't want to create a stir at his funeral. But when I was talking to people, I was I was. Um, uh, consoling them and saying things. And when whatever I said, people would say to me, Margo, it's just like Ron is talking through you or something. Um, it, it, it's just like he's here, you know, whatever I said, it, it's like he was right there with me, almost like I was channeling him or something. I, I didn't feel like I was channeling him, but I could feel his presence so strongly with me and not in that casket. He was with me. And, and there wasn't a change. It, it, there was. I mean, he wasn't there physically, but I, I could feel him there so strongly that that's when I really realized that you don't die. He's right here. <laughs> and it was a very interesting experience. And so that's where I say there's many stories in the book and all of them point to the same <laughs> conclusion that we don't die. And that was very revealing for me. It definitely seems. Uh, wow. It, you're so right about that. It, um, and uh, that once they go on, their presence is still there and you believe that their spirit is around you. Mm-hmm. And that we had that conversation in one of our other episodes, but I think that telling that story is so important. And so I thought just memories, but you're believing once people die, that their spirit lives on amongst us forever. Yes. Yes. And that's what I realized with this, because when I was walking around that funeral home, consoling people, I'm the one, I mean, it was, it was my boyfriend. <laughs> he was actually my fiance at that point. Oh my but gosh. I, wow. I was, yeah. And I was the one that was helping other people. And the reason I could help them, I didn't say Ron's right here. I, I, I call him Ron because that was his name in, in, in the book. I call him Ryan because I changed people's names because you know, a lot of these people and families are still alive. So I changed everybody's name. So I don't want to confuse anybody if they want, if they're wondering who I'm talking about, but you know, I could feel him there and whatever I was telling people to console them, they were, they got so 
inspired by it and they'd come and they'd hug me they'd be crying and and I'd just start talking to them and we'd talk back and forth and they started to get so inspired and the reason why is because I knew Ron was still here and even though I didn't tell them that I but whatever I said conveyed that and they felt so kind of high and happy and um, it, it was a real powerful experience and I have to say you know, I was, what, 23 at the time or something, and that was when my big realization came because I walked around that funeral home, and I was filled with Ron. I could feel him in every cell of my body. He was right there with me, just walking around with me. And um, when you have an experience like that, it's not believing that their spirit is here anymore. It's knowing because you it's, it's an actual experience of that. So I realized that people transform they don't die they transform <laughs> their their body goes away and and the and your your relationship with that person also transforms and it goes to a much higher level actually it's much subtler it's much more powerful we you just miss them on the physical yeah we definitely miss them on the physical no doubt wow yeah, and it's important to grieve them on the physical. People, people who realize that people don't die, they think, oh, but it's all okay. You know, they're they're better off, and yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's true. But there still is that physical grief, and it's really important to grieve that physical loss as as well as understanding that they're still alive. There's kind of two levels that go on when somebody dies. There's the knowing that they're better, they're, they're in a great place. There's also the grief of not being able to have that physical interaction with that person again. All right. So that's awesome. Um, great information again. To pick up the book, it, the best place to go is your website, right? Either the website or go to Amazon.com, Light in the Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. All right. We appreciate it. A great another podcast, Light in the Morning podcast. Take care, Morgan. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Neil. All right. That was the Light in the Morning podcast. Take care, guys. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. We're back to Neil Haley's show here on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program author Gordon Javna, author of Uncle John's Bathroom Reading, Greatest Known on earth curiosities rarities and amazing oddities how are you gordon thanks for stopping by i'm doing great thank you thanks right. for having me absolutely you know and i love that when i look at the cover because i remember this coming in the mail and i just think of 
the greatest showman when I think about this, the greatest yeah. no on earth. And I know that that was a, in a pun in certain ways, but it's so important mm-hmm. to look at the, you are that kind of spin spinster, aren't you? In the, in this, in this area, yeah. right? Like the greatest yeah, showman. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, uh, I mean, the, the book doesn't have a circus theme, but I really do think of myself as the ringmaster. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love to uh, bring out these great stories uh, to uh, entertain people. We, we're sort of, you know, I have a s- staff of writers that uh, I've been working with for decades, really, and um, and we just love to collect these oddball stories and uh, the, the, the next best thing to collect them is sharing them with other people, so. And yes, but you think about this, Gordon. You think about you are the kind of not, you know, Ring, Ringland, Barnum and Bailey kind of person, you know, but you really, the way you spin stories and the way you look at mm-hmm. things, it just, it's like you're on, on stage. You are the ringmaster of, of stories in that way. And that's yes. how, you, and knowledge of interesting, yeah. odd knowledge, right? Uh, yeah. Um, and you know, the odder, the better we're, we're not like, um, you know, not, we don't just look at things as for weirdness. We also look at them for unveiling uh, stories that you may have thought ended this way, but they ended that way, or even things that you didn't know uh, about. You know, somebody asked me recently, um, uh, where do you get all this stuff from? It's 400 pages of, of interesting information. I think it's all interesting. Um, and where do we get it from? Well, uh, there's there's no shortage in the world. Every day is new history, and and even uh, stories that you think you know, you know, a few years from now you're going to forget them. And we like to bring those back too. You know, things that that were in the news, but they're long out of the news. And uh, you know, and given all that, there's really no shortage of fascinating things to to share with people. That's so true, for sure. All right, so let's talk about a few of them without giving away the book, meaning so people can yeah. pick up the book, some of the things you picked up from writing it. Well, um, you know, one of my favorite stories in this book, and in fact, this is our 33rd annual edition of Uncle John's Bathroom, and, and they're all different. Uh, and one of the stories in this book is one of my favorites of, of I've ever done. And that is the story of a food scientist named William Mitchell, who worked for General Foods in the 1950s. And uh, in 1953, he was ta- oh, the, the the company General Foods purchased another brand, the Kool Aid brand, and they wanted Mitchell to develop a carbonated version of Kool Aid. In other words, something that they could it could be an instant mix, and you get soda uh, because they wanted to compete with the gigantic sales of uh, Coke and Pepsi. So he had a couple of ideas, and they were legitimate, and, and they worked. The uh, first idea was carbonated ice. He was going to – he came up with a process to have carbon dioxide uh, embedded in ice – um, the only thing is that it had to be kept at 14 degrees. His idea was that they would sell the ice with a packet of, of Kool-Aid. And 
you mix it and dump the ice in and you go, voila, you have soda. But um, it had to be kept at 14 degrees and that shouldn't be a problem except that in most grocery stores at the, in those days, to save money, uh, the grocers turned the temperature of the uh, freezer compartment up to about 30 degrees, which is just below freezing. That's fine for most frozen food, but not for carbonated ice. And uh, what happened was all the carbon dioxide dissipated. So that didn't work. And the second idea was to to make the sugar carbonated. In those days, Kool-Aid was unsweetened. So you you poured in a glass and then you poured sugar in. Well, he had this idea, let's carbonate the sugar. And then you can also make uh, the uh, flavoring and the coloring part of that that concoction. And he ended up with a lump of stuff that was uh, car- carbonated sugar and, and flavoring and coloring. You drop the lump into a glass of water and you had soda, but it didn't have as much fizziness as as a uh, a soda so uh, that didn't work but it did have fizziness when you popped it into your mouth Uh, and he thought that was remarkable and thought it would make a great candy but General Foods wasn't in the candy business and didn't want to do anything with that Mitchell kept little pieces of it in his office so that he could give it to uh, visitors and impress them and they were impressed and 20 years after he developed it one of his visitors was the head of the snack foods division in Canada. And uh, he loved it. He thought it would make a great candy. Uh, the the uh, Mitchell called it atomic candy, but this, this fellow didn't think atomic candy was a, a very good idea. He came up with another name. And can you guess what the name was? What was the name? Pop Rocks. Oh, he thought wow. he thought that yeah he, he so they came out with his pop rocks but this this uh, fellow didn't want to uh, market it as candy he wanted it to be like a uh, a freebie you bought a, a snack food you know you bought some pretzels or, or potato chips and you got a little packet of pop rocks uh, only thing is that kids liked the pop rocks more than the uh, <laughs> than the than the snack foods and so they even had instances of of kids chasing uh, snack food trucks which is like you know who who does that they chase yeah ice cream trucks exactly maybe, but not but that's yeah snack food truck so they thought they had a winner on their hands and in fact it did get a lot of uh publicity and did have a lot of sales the only thing is in fact uh general foods thought it was going to uh, be a um, a line like all their other lines. They had planned uh, uh, a, a powdered version, you know, like dust that you you put in your mouth. And they had candy that was uh, carbonated chocolate and carbonated chewing gum. These were all planned. And then it turned out that um, it was really just a novelty. And after buying a dozen or half a dozen uh, packets of Pop Rocks, kids lost the interest and uh, ended up to be a, um, a loser for General Foods, and they actually sold the product to another company, and it is still being manufactured under the Pop Rocks name. So the Pop Rocks name uh, lasted, but uh, General Foods' name did not last, actually. It's kind of interesting. It's now part of Kraft Foods and uh, uh, no longer exists as a separate company or even as a name. Mitchell went on to develop many other products in, for General Foods, and those included uh, Tang, 
My gosh. I don't know if you remember yes, that. I remember. Instant breakfast drink. Well known for the fact that it was included on NASA missions. Uh, and astronauts drank it, and it, uh, we all thought, oh, it must be good for yes, you. Yes, exactly. That the reason, yeah, the reason they included it was because water in pouches that they had to take into space to hydrate, um, the water changed taste when it left the atmosphere. And it, they didn't like the way it tasted. So in order to make it more palatable, they figured, well, we'll add this tang to it. And uh, um, so it was a matter of necessity, not not uh, choice. But nevertheless, it was a very successful product. And Cool Whip was another one of Mitchell's products. He also invented a powdered alcohol, uh, which you know, powdered vodka, right, which actually right. worked. But but uh, they never they never produced that. And his it, last product that he made, not for General Foods, but the um, last product he developed with his daughter was rice milk. And uh, he, he passed away, but his daughter continued with the process, and she is responsible for developing not just rice milk, but oat milk, hemp milk, uh, soy milk, all these products, all from that one uh, idea that he had. And so next time you're in the supermarket and you see the display of all the different kinds of uh, faux milks, you can think of William Mitchell and Pop Rocks. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so uh, this is a great conversation. I appreciate uh, I, one story out of a bunch of stories. So they got to pick up the book today, right? And where's the best place? Right. I mean, that's one out of like 250. No, I have the book, so I'm going to read them. And I'm, those will be great. Yeah. They'll be great shares uh, for different things, yeah. for sure. So, and uh, use some of them as uh, finding the research, and they'd be a great social media post, to tell you the truth. So, I don't know if you're doing that, mm -hmm. but that would be really a great way to repurpose some of your content and give you credit. So, uh, where can we ch uh, check you. you out and stuff? Where can you purchase your book? Uh, well, you can get the book uh, any bookstore uh, if they're if they're open, uh, and uh, certainly you can get it from Amazon. You can get everything from Amazon, and um, uh, you can uh, find more out find out more about us at bathroomreader.com. Yes, um, that, for sure. I appreciate you stopping by, and thanks again. Hey, thank you, Neil. You're nice welcome. To talk to you. Okay. All right. Bye bye. You're listening bye. to the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome program Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, great. How are you, Neil? I'm doing fantastic. We're going to talk winning tax solutions today. And the, one of the reasons, Mike, you're going to talk it because of how they are boosting up. And this is my take. I just read it and the, that they're going to start going after anyone who voted for Trump. And that's why they're blown out, you know, the whole uh making the IRS large, right? To go after people who support Trump. Well, whether you're for Trump or not for Trump, they're going to make the IRS large and that's good for our business. And, and I have today with me, my cousin, Joey Fazio, who, you know, is a tremendously skilled person and is going to be able to help me to blow this thing up. And we're going to be able to take care of a lot of people, you know, for 10 years, we've had nothing but success. Um, I think I've won. <laughs> I've won like my, I don't know, something like 95% of all my cases I win. And um, I worked with my cousin before and he really, we complement each other very well. And he's going to be able to help me to do the volume that we need 
to really take this business to the next level. Sure. Welcome. How you doing, Neil? Good, good. So what what are your thoughts? Like you see Mike's business that helps so many people and how you guys are going to try to get get it out even more to the mainstream about how important it is uh, if you have tax trouble to contact Mike. Well, I've uh, seen how Mike's done firsthand working with him on and off for, for the last 10 years. Uh, he's just done tremendous work for, for people and uh, saved them tons of money. He knows the, he worked for the IRS for 20 plus years. He's been doing tax debt fighting savings uh, for the last 10. So he's been on both sides of the coin and the, he can't get 30 years experience uh, every day. And he puts that experience to work for him and just does a tremendous, tremendous job. Like 10 cents on the dollar a lot of times. But, you know, you can never guarantee results. But the one thing you can guarantee is that Mike's going to work extremely hard for you and get you probably the best outcome anyone could get you out there. And I feel very comfortable saying that. What are your thoughts, Mike? Well, you know, here's, here's, I'll give you a couple of examples. Sometimes, and most people at the IRS I worked there before, you know, I worked there for 22 years, are great people. But there's some people that can be a little bit abusive with their power. And I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories. I mean, one story, we got a call from Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, the woman says, I, you know, I saw you on YouTube and I, I need to hire you. I said, okay, hire me. So she did. And uh, I said, what happened? She says, well, this lady comes to my house. She shows, shows me some sort of belt badge and she says, I'm from the IRS. I'm here to collect and pushed away in my house, little, physically pushed the door open and walked into the little woman's home and says, I'm not leaving till you write me a check. So my client wrote her a check for $500 from her credit line at the bank. Okay. Cause she didn't have any money in the bank. So she had a credit line. And she said, next week we'll meet at your accountant's office. So at the accountant's office, this IRS woman uh, told my client that she would leave her naked and homeless on the street. Those are her exact words in front of her accountant. If she burnt, she didn't pay. She then left that meeting. The IRS agent left that meeting, went to find her husband, woman's husband, and said, if you don't pay, I'm coming after you because Nevada is a community property state. That man then went to the, 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 the courthouse and got divorce papers and divorced my client over this. And so that's where I got involved. I said, look, Give me, you know, write me a letter. I will get her boss's boss's phone number, which I did. I called this guy up and he tries to tell me that he knows that lady and she'd never do anything like that. I said, what's your fax number? So he gave me the fax number. I faxed him over the letter. When he got the letter, his, his exact words were, I'm going to take this to Tigda to clear my client. Now, Tigda is the internal police of the IRS. And of course, I knew he would never take that letter to Tegda because if he did, she would have got fired because you cannot push your way into someone's house. It's called a 1203B violation. Can't do it. So at that point, I said, you have, I will be calling your revenue officer in an hour. I called the woman. I said, I want to see all the transcripts. She faxed me over the transcripts. I reviewed them. I said to her, lady, my client doesn't owe you a penny. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, these are all 1099Gs from gaming establishments. This is all winnings at the casinos. I said, my client has lost more than she ever made. And I said, I, said, I, know, I, know, I know you know that. 
She has a gambling problem. And we killed the case right there. My client didn't have to pay a dime. It was written off. The point is, what does somebody do when they're faced with somebody like that if they don't have somebody like me? So true, Mike. So true. And there's issues all the time that happen that the IRS makes mis mistakes too, right? Oh, there's, there's a lot of issues. I mean, um, I mean, <laughs> there's, there was a case in Joey, Joey, Joey's, you know, Joe, Joey's, Joey knows exactly who I'm talking to in this particular case. Lady went to uh, an account, accounting mm -hmm. company and uh, she didn't have the, the, the process done, but she left all her name, social security number, all that stuff, whatever. And uh, they filed a return for her and they kept a refund. And, <laughs> uh, you know, her tax account actually never sent in the real refund. So it caused all sorts of problems, but we were able to get it straightened out. So, you know, there are cases where sometimes the IRS will make an assessment against you or file a tax return for you. And when they file a tax return for you, the IRS's goal is to make it as painful as possible to get you to file it on your own. So one of my clients, you know, they sent him a, a bill for $145,000. Well, he didn't owe $145,000. They were taking half his social security and we, um, we filed the correct tax return and he got a $17,000 refund. So $145,000 disappeared, plus he got $17,000 back. And last time when Obama was president, they added $600 million to the IRS budget. And all they did was hire... RAs, which are revenue agents, those are the ones that do the audits. And revenue officers, those are the ones that collect the money. I hope that this time they're smarter about how they spend the money and they put some money into taxpayer service because it's ridiculous. You can't, you call the IRS, you're on hold for two hours. It's just wrong. You can't even go to an IRS office anymore for help. You have to set up an appointment, otherwise they won't see you. Absolutely crazy, Mike. And it's because, and the reason is because a lot of people don't challenge the IRS. They just go ahead and deal with it and that's it, right? Yeah. I, I, I think that's 100% correct. Um, you know, even attorneys or accountants, they, they may think they know the tax laws and stuff, but Mike was actually on that side of, of the ledger and he worked with the IRS. He's, he's not afraid to have those conversations that, and push the envelope uh, on savings. I, I gotta say a majority of his cases uh, are one in appeal and because he doesn't take no for an answer. If he has a goal or set something up in mind and that he knows is affordable for his client, he works for that number and he, and he doesn't give up. And sometimes the cases get dragged on and, you know, but he never stops working on a case and he always, you know, fights for the resolution that he thinks is fair because he knows what's fair from being on the other side of the coin. It's uh, he, he's very, very popular with all his clients <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely agree. Uh, Mike, so how can people, what, so people, what kind of people are you looking out for right now that need you? 
Well, any, anybody who the IRS is trying to collect money from, if they have a big tax bill that they cannot pay, that's primarily who our clients are. We, we really have been specializing in offering compromise. That's the only process the IRS has to settle your tax debt for less. Um, every one of these other tax resolution companies touts it, but we have an 89% success rate um, where you know we get at least uh, a 50 to 70% reduction, sometimes more. Uh, I just settled a bunch of cases over the last couple of weeks. One case, we settled $175,000 debt for $25,000. Another case, we settled a $38,000 debt for $2,600. I had settled one case. This was about two years ago. A lady was in the hospital and she owed a quarter million dollars. We settled it for 500, okay? She just had nothing. I had a case where a guy lost his house in Hurricane Irma. He owed $970,000. We settled with the IRS for 42,000. So, you know, these, these are all documented cases. We have letters from the clients. Um, I wiped out a million dollars for two doctors, a million dollars each in payroll taxes, uh, liabilities, in the, you know, 940 taxes that were improperly were assessed to them that never should have been assessed to them. So we wiped out the entire million dollars uh, for each, each, each of the two, <coughs> two clients. So um, we've, you know, I, I've had the experience. I mean, there's few people that have 30 years worth of IRS experience, either working with them or working on the other side, protecting people from them. So we're well-rounded. I've worked with collection. I've worked with audits. Um, I work with the criminal division, of course. So every, every aspect of the IRS I have been exposed to. And there's no, there's been no area where we haven't had a tremendous amount of success. And it's, it's, it's important because there are other people out there, but they don't have the knowledge base. You're not going to get the one-on-one attention that Mike's going to bring. And then also the ability, if you're local, especially in the Florida area, to, to meet with Mike and sit down, but with virtual Zoom meetings while you go with these other companies, their bottom line is they're trying to make money. They're not trying to help people. Mike's mission is to help people, right? Yes. That's what we do. And we're good at it. And my cousin and I work really well together. It's a, it's a family business. Um, everybody that works for me is related to me. Um, so we have a unity, you know, a family unity, and we're going to, we're going to, we take pride in our work and we'll make sure that it's done right. Okay. So winning tax solutions.com. Anything else to add, sir? Our, our amazing guest today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, Joe, if you if you're you know, we in addition to the website with my number, give my cousin a call. Um, his number is nine five four 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 eight three four four six. Is that right? That's correct. Nine five four 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 eight three four four six. And he'll tell you about call any time. Yeah, and he'll tell you about the different yeah. programs we have and what it's going to cost. And you know, really, I've. You know, I, I don't want to be like a lawyer, so I don't charge hourly. I don't try to rate people. I basically have one set fee and then for whatever it takes. Now, that has hurt me in the past because, you know, I've charged, you know, one, one lady $7,500 and then seven years later, I'm still working on the case doing the fourth offer and compromise. But 
you know, my words, my bond. So sometimes I have to bite the bullet. It takes a lot longer. And sometimes we run into obstacles with some of these cases that are unforeseen when I take them. But, you know, it's really about winning the case and making the client happy. So you will definitely get your money's worth when you go with us. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Well, guys, thanks again. This is a great show and uh, great information. And everyone goes to winningtoxsolutions.com and also mikevillardybooks.com for your book, Mike. And that book is? The Time of His Coming, The Final Chapter. All right. And uh, let's see Mike's <laughs> right about this again, what we're seeing going on in this world. Uh, who knows? But I appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks again and take care. Okay. Thanks. Again. Thanks for having All us. All right, guys. That was the Mike Velarde Show. Take care, guys.